0: Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 to 27. Listen again for the word of the Lord. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for days. Thanks be to God. If there is any activity we can confidently ascribe to God, it is that our God is endlessly creative. When we talk about God creating, we usually think of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. But this is only the beginning of the many creation accounts in our scripture. If you're a musician like Linda Bush, you might like Psalm 8 as your creation account. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. If you're a writer like Bennett Fry, you might like John chapter 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you have an unquenchable thirst for knowledge like Miss Flory Corley, you might like Proverbs chapter 8 where wisdom speaks and she says, The Lord created me at the beginning of his work before the mountains and hills, the earth and the fields, the seas and the springs of water. I was there. If you like to build things like Tim Hammond, you might prefer Job chapter 38, where God says, I laid the foundation of the earth. I determined its measurements and stretched the line upon it. I sunk its bases and laid the cornerstone. And if you are grieving, you might draw comfort from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. I am making all things new. Our God is endlessly creative. But that's not all. We find another creation story in our Old Testament reading today in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel was a prophet during the time of exile. This is right around 590 BC when Babylon invades Jerusalem and conquers the surrounding land. Many people are captured and taken away. People like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all wind up in Babylon along with the prophet Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is prophesying to people who have been uprooted. They have left behind their homes, their lands, their traditions, their Temple. Some believe they've left behind their God in that temple. These are people numb with grief, exhausted from fighting, and mourning the loved ones they've had to bury. They're going through the motions of life, but they're not really living. And in this moment, at this time, Ezekiel receives a vision of new creation. He is standing in a field full of bones, and God commands him in this vision to speak, so he does, and the bones rise up. God commands him to speak again, so he does, and a divine breath fills those dead bodies, and they come to life. Ezekiel sees dead people walking, and that's Pretty creepy. In America, we have a lot of zombie movies, and this passage reminds me of a zombie movie. We have Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, House of the Dead, there's a pattern, Land of the Dead, Army of the Dead. There's a Resident Evil series, that whole series. Stephen King wrote Pet Cemetery, that's also got zombies. Michael Jackson's thriller has zombies featured in it. There's TV shows like Zombie Land, and of course, Will Smith's I Am. Legend. If you've ever wondered whether the Bible could be as exciting as an episode of The Walking Dead, there you go. Of course, what Ezekiel is seeing aren't zombies, they're not the Walking Dead, they're the living. They were dead, and now, with the breath of God, they are back to life, full life. And yet, we love a good zombie movie. We do. And there's nothing more American than that. There's also nothing more American than celebrating the 4th of July. And today is July 4th. Today, we celebrate our independence from Great Britain. And we do that in good company. There are 60 countries around the world that celebrate their independence from Great Britain. Now, most of them, like Canada, Egypt, Afghanistan, and India, most of them celebrate the day that British Parliament signed a treaty, or ratified an act, to grant them independence. Most celebrate the day that power was officially handed over. But not us. No, we are impatient Americans. We don't celebrate the day we won independence. You might not even know what that day is. We celebrate the day we declared independence, and by declaring that, declared war on the greatest naval power in the world. That's why in July of 1776, our country was not celebrating with fireworks. We were trading fire with British soldiers. One of the most pivotal campaigns of the early Revolutionary War was the fight for control over New York City. Washington, George Washington was adamant that they keep control of New York. But in the fall of 1776 the British pushed 9,000 of George Washington's soldiers out of Long Island and up the East River, where they regrouped in a place called Kipps Bay. These were farmers and shopkeepers. They carried whatever weapons they could find. They were outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, and outplanned. And when the Redcoats converged, the ragtag militia didn't just retreat. They ran away. George Washington was mortified. He was disgusted by this. As he watched his army scatter to the four winds, he threw his hat on the ground and exclaimed, are these the men with whom I am to defend America? He wrote a letter to John Hancock after that defeat. John Hancock wrote his name biggest on the Declaration of Independence. Washington wrote, if our troops would just behave with tolerable bravery. The enemy would meet with a defeat, but experience has convinced me that this is to be wished for rather than expected. Two months later his fears came true. The British forces took the very last stronghold of Manhattan Island, a stronghold that regrettably was named Fort Washington. By December of 1776, support for the war had plummeted. The ranks of soldiers had shrunk to bare bones. There were rumors of mutiny. Our revolution was on the verge of collapse, and it might have collapsed. Washington did not have a vast army. What he had was a valley of dry bones. And it's hard to go on when you're stuck in a valley. It's hard to find hope in places of death. In our New Testament reading, Jesus visits Bethany. Before he enters the city, Martha runs to meet him with news her brother Lazarus has died. And she blames Jesus. And I get it. I get it. She knew what Jesus could do. He had spent time healing the sick. She knew if he had been there, maybe he could have done something. And that's what she says, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus answers, your brother will rise up. Now, I don't know if this was supposed to be comforting exactly. Martha already knows about the resurrection. She says, yes, my brother will rise in the last days, in the far off future. And maybe that's a little bit of hope. But it doesn't really help my grief right now. But Jesus is after something a little more immediate. He reminds her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. You don't have to look forward to the last days because I am here with you. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So your brother, Martha will rise up, not in the far distant future, although that is also true. He will rise up right now because I am here. Your brother will rise up like the dry bones the Ezekiel saw. He will rise up because in the presence of God, even dried up dead things spring to new life. And speaking of dried up, our revolutionary army on Christmas Day of 1970, I'm sorry, 1777, um, was dried up. But on that night, George Washington led a contingent of the remaining soldiers in a daring and desperate journey across the icy Delaware River. He launched a surprise attack on Trenton, New Jersey, and they won. And a few, weeks, a few days later, he launched a second attack at Princeton, and they one, And those two victories filled America's lungs with hope. People started joining up again. France began to support us. And those victories turned the tide of the war. The revolutionary soldiers were cold and hungry, injured, exhausted, grieving, and scared. But they rose up. They rose up, and so can we. I believe that Jesus calls us like he calls to Lazarus, to rise up. When we see injustice, we are to rise up. When the vulnerable are pushed down, we are to rise up. When our bodies are exhausted, we are to rise up. When our spirits are broken, we rise up. When our courage melts into fear, we rise up. When the enemy has us cornered, we rise up. And even when all hope seems lost, even when we lay in the grave, we know that we do and we will rise up. Because in the presence of Jesus, death and sin fall away and new life abounds. Last summer, our church stepped up to serve a weekly food bank district, serve as a weekly food bank distribution site and many of you have have seen this or maybe touched it or been involved with it. The outreach began with a small number of dedicated volunteers and you know what they say about a a small number of committed citizens. They can change the world. So one of the early volunteers for this was Miss Fran Brailsford. Fran didn't just show up because it was a nice mission to help with or she was bored on a Monday. Fran showed up because she feels deeply and personally called to help the hungry. So Fran took over as the greeter. And before we know it, Fran has learned the names and stories and pet names of every single person coming through our parking lot. If you ask Fran, she says, well, of course I know everyone by name. These families are my family. And Fran takes that attitude not just to the families that come through the door, but to the whole ministry. They, have, they call her their mom. She's the mom of our food bank volunteers. Now, you might recognize Fran's name, or you might recognize her red hair. Our congregation has been praying for Fran for over a year because Fran is dying. And we're all dying. But Fran is dying of cancer, and she made the decision not to treat it. So week after week, Fran rises up. She shows up and pushes through pain and exhaustion, and she's there for those families, for her family. And she will tell you that on this very difficult journey, it's this ministry and the, the Spirit of God in it that keeps her going. Even when our bodies may grow weak, our spirits can be made whole over and over again. And I would say, friends, this is resurrection. Yes, we believe that in the last days we rise again. We also believe in resurrection every single day and we see it in one another in this congregation. I see it in Fran. In places of death our God plants seeds of life. Now we're we're talking about dry bones and I have to admit I'm really tired this morning. You might be tired I'm not tired because I saw a lot of fireworks last night, I'm tired because this whole week I was up at Montreat with several of our church staff. We went to a a worship and music conference. I carpooled up with Cho Hee, our organist, she's from South Korea, and so I was curious whether South Korea had an Independence Day. This kicked off an hour-long conversation about the whole history of Korea. We made it all the way up to the 1950s and the Korean War. And I, I knew this part. After the war, the country of Korea was divided, the South from the North, and a two-and-a-half-mile-wide swath of land was carved out as the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone. This is a no-man's land. But then Cho-hee told me something I didn't know, She said, look, for almost 70 years, this land has been untouched by human beings. And today, that no man's land, that place of certain death, is home to 5,000 species of plants and animals. It's become a wildlife sanctuary. Where we see a place of death, our God sees the makings of a garden. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we make our own declaration of independence because we declare that we are not bound by sin and death. We are freed for the life-giving love of Christ. And every day, at every step, we cling tight to that promise and we claim the creative power of God. So we claim that power now. If you picked up a ribbon on your way in, go ahead and take it out. There are two ways you might write on this ribbon. Well, write with a pen. The two things you might write on it. As the music plays, first you might consider someone who you have loved and have lost and for whom you are praying to see in that final resurrection. But I would also ask you to think about where in your life is there a valley of dry bones? And where are you praying for God's creative power to take root and build a garden? This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.